Um, over the last several weeks, we've heard our elders share about the vision for our church, love God, serve others, and share Jesus. And one of the ways we've been doing that, and we'll continue to do that here at Fourth Avenue, is through our, both our local and our foreign missions. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of great things that are going on, both locally and in, in our foreign areas, but oftentimes you as a congregation don't necessarily see it because it doesn't happen on Sunday morning and it doesn't happen at this building. So this morning, we're, we want to share a little bit about what's going on in missions and just give you uh, some of that insight. Um, we have been working in both local and foreign missions for quite a long time, and it's actually a significant part of our budget. So we wanted to help you understand uh, the ways in which this min these various ministries are a part of Fourth Avenue. So for those of you who perhaps need a reminder, and uh, some of you maybe an introduction, we have a slideshow to kind of give you an overview of the various ministries that we support. So if we can run that uh, right now. Yeah, you can clap for that. 
And that's just a part of what we do. I mean, there's other ministries that we're involved in that, that aren't even budgeted. So, for example, the ladies' ministry for, for years and years have been doing work in the prison, uh, faithfully going to the prison and doing ministry there. So we want to recognize that there's so much going on here that, that perhaps you're not aware of that we want to celebrate and we want to praise God for. And so this morning, we're not going to be able to cover all of that. Uh, and we've been focusing each month on a different local ministry. So what we want to do this morning is to touch on a few of our foreign missions to give you a little bit of insight in what's going on. So I've asked some of my mission team partners to share about uh, stories that are happening in their location. Each of our mission team is, is uh, responsible for a different mission point. So we're going to start with Emily Lavender, whose uh, mission point is in Rwanda. So I'm going to ask her to share a little bit about what's happening there. Okay, good morning. Um, I'm going to be sticking to my notes because we're tight on time. So today I have the joy of speaking to you about Legacy Mission Village and specifically our international impact. Um, Legacy is unique in that it's one of our local and international mission opportunities. Um, though I could go on literally all day about all the good that Legacy is doing locally, including their kindergarten readiness program, their journey after school program, their citizenship, English, computer program, life skills classes, their backpack drives, their doctor drives, and the extreme um, expansion of their program during COVID to make sure that our refugee population is not forgotten today, I am focusing on our school in Rwanda. So the Reeves family, um, my son Thomas and I just returned a couple of weeks ago from an amazing trip to Rwanda um, where we were blessed to visit the Itatero School for Children with Special Needs. This school um, is a result of something kind of uh, like what our church has just participated in. Um, though they didn't have a formal assessment, the pastor, the elders, the leaders of that church um, began to look around their church and their community and ask an important question. How can we impact those, um, the lives of those around us um, for the glory and sake of Jesus? And what God revealed to them um, through this process was a secret community, um, a population of children hidden in the recesses of homes children who had been out of the sight of the community due to false beliefs, um, stereotypes, and lack of education about children with special needs. Um, I'm reminded of the famous E.B. White book, Trumpet of the Swan. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar, but toward the beginning of the book, there's, um, after realizing that Louis is unable to vocalize like other swans, his dad says, do you wish me to believe I have a son who is defective in any way? Oh, such a revelation would distress me greatly. But soon, however, he realizes Louis' many gifts and many talents, and um, his father becomes the most determined advocate for him to get whatever he needs to be a successful trumpeter swan. And so Legacy Mission Village believes that um, education is an inherent human right. So it's no surprise that they partnered with the Kenobe Church um, in, in, in 2015, along with other partners, including this church, um, we helped open the doors to the Itatero School for Children with Special Needs. Um, since that time, I've been so blessed to visit the school three times, and I can honestly say that it has captured the attention of not just the community, but of the country. It is now receiving support and recognition from the government. It's a model for other schools. Many of you have provided support, both financially, with school supplies, with prayers, 
um, with encouragement. Um, you have shared in the dream of being able to provide also a physical therapy room um, to meet the needs of the children. Many of them need physical therapy. So I am very happy to be able to show you um, the physical therapy room on the slideshow, which is not only being used um, for the school children, but others in the community as well. Um, and I'd like to share one quick story with you um, that is a direct result of the power of a community of believers listening um, to the call God placed on their hearts and following through with that calling. Um, Pastor Julius, who is one of my favorite humans, shared this story with us while we were there. Um, he was telling us about a particular girl who um, had, before their school opened, um, had lived her life hidden in the recesses of her home. She had never walked, and because of this, her father um, believed that her mother had a curse on her, and he had left the family. Um, due to this girl's special needs, it was very difficult for the mother to um, try to get work or leave the home. So um, their lives were ones of isolation and shame. And I'm reminded of the woman who um, suffered with the 12 years of bleeding and the shame and isolation that she faced um, until she reached out to Jesus and he reached right back to her telling her, take heart, daughter. And I can just hear, almost hear Jesus whispering this into that mother's ear and that daughter's ear when they began to receive not only their physical needs um, being met, but spiritual needs as well. The embodiment of the mission we as a church are taking on, love God, serve others, share Jesus. This little girl began um, attending I Teach Row School and started to receive physical therapy. And after a while, this little girl who'd been shamed and hidden and isolated and without a father began to walk. A modern day miracle. Yes. The whole community was able to bear witness to this miraculous event. Her father came home. He is now active in the family and receiving education himself. He's learning that kids with special needs also have very special gifts. He's seeing his daughter as the beautiful creation of God that she has always been, and he is learning to be a loving father to her. Friends, this school is a result of a church asking seeking, listening, and then acting. And as I sit before you today, I encourage each of us to embrace this love God, serve others, share Jesus mission our church has embraced. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the support you have and continue to give to Legacy um, and to the school. If you would like to get plugged in locally, I can help you with that. Um, I can speak personally to the fun of volunteering in their KOP program. It's so much fun. Um, in the meantime, we so appreciate your financial and prayerful support um, and all that you do to help um, these dreams, like a little girl learning to walk, become a reality. Thank you, Emily. Most all of our, our mission projects are actually uh, involved in holistic ministry, meaning that we're not just sharing the message of Jesus, but we're also serving others as we share the message of Jesus. We're trying to improve the lives of those in the community. Uh, now we're going to hear from Mark Blake uh, from Nicaragua. Thank you. Go ahead with the slide, Mary. Uh, I get to brag about the mission in Managua, Nicaragua. 
We've supported Julio Ruiz for 29 years here at 4th Avenue, so thank you for your support there. You can see his wife, absolutely. You can see his wife, uh, Esther, of 23 years, uh, his daughter, Genesis, Bismarck Gonzalez, and Franklin Ochoa. There is assistance there with all of the work they do, and they do a lot of work. Uh, Julio calls himself hyperactive, and he is. He stays busy all the time. Go ahead, Lord. You can see the, the typical week uh, in Nicaragua uh, starts with Sunday morning services. They have two services. Um, they also have, uh, due to COVID, that was one of the reasons they started that. They have Tuesday night ladies' classes. They have uh, Wednesday night services. They have Friday night small groups. They have Saturday night youth groups, and then back to Sunday. So a lot of activity going on in community with uh, the church there in Managua. They also do benevolence programs. These are very important to the local community. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and so there's a lot of need there. The food programs, uh, they support with rice and beans and cooking oil, which is uh, staples in Nicaragua. Julio even has avocado trees in his yard that he knocks the avocados down, takes those, gives those to people. But they also do walkers, canes, wheelchairs, and that's not just for the elderly. That's for uh, all ages. There's so much need in Nicaragua. And then the next program they support is vocational training. This is uh, in cooperation with the mayor's office. And any industry that's coming into Nicaragua, they reach out in the community to try to help the community. They have sewing classes. If industry's coming in with sewing, it could be backpacks, it could be school uniforms, clothes. Uh, they do baking and restaurant classes. And this is for hotels, uh, restaurants, all of those type things, cell phone repair, uh, English classes for call centers. You may be talking to one of our uh, brothers and sisters from Nicaragua and you call uh, some call center here from the U.S. And also piñatas. If you don't know about piñatas in Nicaragua, every celebration requires a piñata. One year we took a mission group from here and uh, Julio asked me for permission. He wanted to make one look like Joe Harmon who was going with us on the trip. <laughs> And they did that, and uh, Joe got a great picture of the before. You didn't want to see the after, because if you know, the piñatas don't work. So uh, a, a strong vocational training in the community. Um, the evangelistic campaigns. This is an amazing ministry. Not only uh, do they do this in the local community where the church is located, knocking on doors, preaching, teaching. There's been six baptisms this year just in the local community from this. And then those people are plugged into the church. And then they reach out to smaller churches in, in rural communities and help them with some evangelistic campaigns. And those have been super successful. They've even planted a church, 39 baptisms just this year from those campaigns. And then they have the local churches to plug all of those uh, new converts into so they can grow in Christ. So a lot of great work going on there. Um, this all going on with very difficult circumstances. Nicaragua, again, has had, they've had an uprising in 2018. Um, there's been uh, COVID is issues that uh, a lot of the airline, U.S. airlines have ceased going. That's why we haven't had a group from here going a few years. 
Uh, the last trip we took was in 2018, early 2018, because the uprising was in uh, March of that year. Um, health concerns for Julio. Please continue to pray for him and his work. A lot of health concerns. He's got major back surgery coming up soon, but that doesn't slow him down. I tell you, a good story to tell is during COVID, a lot of things were happening in that local community. And so Julio finds ways to bring that community together, keep the church building open in community. They've done in-person services, they've done virtual services, they've done hybrid services, and in the height of it, he even got permission from the mayor's office to shut the street down in front of the church building and erected a tent so they could have services outdoors and space uh, for the health of the members there. So, so much work going on. So what can we ask of you? Continue to pray for the work there, pray for all of these ministries, pray specifically for Julio and the assistants, and pray for uh, hopefully in 2022 we can take another group over there. But thank you again for your support. So just a reminder, every time that you... Um, contribute to Fourth Avenue, a part of what you're contributing to are these various ministries, and we can always do more. Um, that's one of the, the struggles that we face each year when we're working over the budget is to recognize that, that there's so much more that can be done, but there's the, the, the funds that you do give are, are being put to great use. Uh, now we're going to hear from Matt Rabine about Brazil. showed this slide here before, but I'm not ashamed to share it again. I think it's a, a, a really good story worth telling here. So this picture was taken in 2008. You know, uh, for those who don't know, I lived in Porto Alegre, Brazil for nine years, so I was a missionary there. Uh, the person on the left in the, uh, in the back there, his name is Elder. His stage name is GMEC. Uh, at this time, he had just graduated from the Youth Recovery Center Addiction Recovery Program. He and some other friends formed a Christian hip-hop rap group and had just won first place in a statewide competition and came back to the Recovery Center just to say hi and film a, a TV spot. The guy next to him, his name is Josie Maid. Uh, he was a, student, a new student in the Recovery Center program at the time. And yes, that's me uh, next to Josie Meyer there. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit that I had dreams of being a, a Brazilian Christian hip-hop star. But, uh, they didn't work out. You know, God had other plans, thankfully. So, next slide. Uh, what about today, uh, 13 years later? Uh, Elder and his wife, Elizangela, their son, Eminem, uh, they are missionaries supported by Fourth Avenue Church. Uh, Elder and Elizangela, work as program coordinators at the Youth Recovery Center, the very same place where Elder recovered from his addiction 14 years ago. They're there uh, every day encouraging the men in their recovery, you know, leading Bible studies, doing counseling, one-on-one -on -one conversations, uh, doing a lot of, of visiting with men who graduated from the program and just you know, trying to be really involved in, in the community. Uh, uh, Elder continues his music ministry, performing when and where he can. Now on the right we have Josima with his wife Alini. Uh, their children is Adora, Valentina, and Maya. Uh, what I really want to focus on today is uh, there's many stories I could tell, but I really want to focus on Josima uh, and just the amazing trajectory his life has taken. 
Next slide, please. So who is Josie Manashavis da Silva today? Um, you know, three things I want to share about him. First thing is that uh, in terms of his ministry, he is the coordinator of a homeless shelter uh, that is run by a faith-based NGO there in Porto Alegre. Uh, I should emphasize a Christian faith-based. So uh, Porto Alegre City Hall has subcontracted with this Christian faith-based organization to run the city's homeless shelters. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity. I mean, Porto Alegre, to give you an idea, is a city where the Brazilian Communist Party has won elections in the past. So to have to intentionally contract with a Christian faith-based organization for a public service is nothing short of astounding. And Josimad is serving as the coordinator of one of these homeless shelters. So he and this ministry have a, a wonderful opportunity to work with the homeless population, you know, a very vulnerable population of Porto Alegre. This is a, a metro area of almost four million people. So you can imagine the, the need that exists there for this kind of service. And Josimad is faithfully serving as a coordinator of one of these shelters. Uh, he's also uh, working in a ministry called Hope House Brazil. Uh, he's partnering with Kevin and Benet Bloom. Many of you know the Blooms. Uh, they were uh, my colleagues in Brazil for many years. In fact, they're the only family of our original mission team that went in 2002 that are still in Brazil uh, working there. So the, the vision for Hope House is you know, what, we, what we might call a true halfway house, a, a place where Men, once they graduate from a six or nine month addiction recovery program, can go and live for a year or two, maybe three years, and kind of relearn fundamental life skills about how to hold a job, how to spend money, how to rebuild relationships with your wife and children and family, you know, how, basically how to you know, function well in society. So Josie Mott and the Blooms and several others are partnering with this Hope House. You know, uh, they're running into some some legal, uh, bureaucratic obstacles. I would ask you to, to just pray uh, that those obstacles can be cleared and the Hope House can finally open because once it does, it will really truly be the only ministry of its kind, believe it or not, in Porto Alegre that takes a Christian holistic focus to, to, to recovering uh, persons who've been through you know, the, the things that they've been through when you think about it, um, you know, drug and alcohol addiction recovery. Um, uh, the third thing to talk about Josie Meyer is that he is an urban ministry catalyst. You know, one of Josie Meyer's uh, big dreams, and I believe one of the talents that God has given him is to just know how to join lots of different people and organizations together for common causes. Uh, he learned this, uh, you know, really since his time you know, after he graduated from the Youth Recovery Center those years ago. He lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil's largest city, he was a missionary intern worked for a well-known urban ministry there. Uh, he got his bachelor's degree in social work. Uh, he also has a postgraduate certificate in sports psychology. So he has a very uh, unique uh, training and formation, but he, he really brings that to bear on you know, trying to uh, mobilize and you know, unite and integrate all these different ministries. You, know, you think about Porto Alegre, this is an urban area of, again, almost four million people. There's lots of great ministry and lots of things going on. But in any place, you know, there's that tendency to isolate and just kind of focus on your own little area or your little niche and perhaps miss opportunities where if we all collaborate, maybe, you know, some bigger and greater things can happen, you know, to call attention to what God is doing and just mobilize more people. 
So one of the things that Josie Mott has been doing over the past few years is start a school of urban ministry in partnership you know, with the church that they attend there uh, with the idea of forming young people you know, to go and maybe get internships in, in, in different existing ministries and just kind of get a more holistic vision. You'll know, bring in uh, guest speakers and you know, teachers from, from different existing ministries and, and help give everybody a bigger vision. What is God doing in the Porto Alegre area? What's God doing outside of my specific denomination or, or uh, specific focus or my neighborhood? Uh, so he's been leading that school of urban ministry. You know, he's also been you know, leading some uh, sports camps, you know, uh, working with, um, especially with uh, teenagers. You know, sports ministry is a huge opportunity in Brazil you know, to reach families for the gospel. So I think I just got my signal, so that's it. Thank you, Matt. So um, this is just a fascinating story because we sent Matt as a missionary. How many years ago was that, Matt? I don't even remember. It was 2002. 2002. And, and that ministry resulted in the conversion of, of these guys that you see, which then resulted in further ministry that's just propagating itself, which is the whole plan, right? So these are three different ministries, just some of the ones that we support. We're not going to cover all of them, but we wanted to offer you an insight into a new opportunity that we hope to, in the future, be able to support. This is not currently in our budget because of the constraints that we've had currently. We're hoping that if things turn around, um, if the giving uh, begins to go back up, that we'll be able to, to um, participate in this new opportunity. So David Reeves is going to share about uh, a new opportunity. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's my honor to introduce to you, um, as Mike said, a new mission opportunity and effort that we as a church potentially could be involved in. Um, uh, it's an opportunity that the mission team has been exploring for, for some time now, um, and we're really excited about it. Um, we've been praying, we've been learning about it, um, uh, and we think that you know this morning is just the perfect time since we're talking about all these things that we're already doing just a perfect time to, to share this with you and just get that on the radar for us as a church family. Uh, this is an opportunity in the small central uh, African nation of Rwanda with its 13 and a half million people. Um, and so um, I wanna talk about uh, connections. You can go to the next slide. Um, uh, a hallmark of the mission program here at Fourth Avenue that we talk about all the time in our meetings is how are we connected as a family to the, the efforts that we're involved in? What is the connection? What is the involvement? Um, so our connection to the work um, in Rwanda uh, is through a family, the Miller family, Matt, Andrea, Abigail, Aiden, and Anna Marie. And um, that connection is, you know, they've been here twice over the last couple of years, and many of you have met them. They were here actually just a few weeks ago, um, and they're leaving to head back to Rwanda really any day now um, to get back into their work. But um, they've been working in Rwanda since 2012. And um, Becky and I have known Matt and Andrea Miller for over 20 years. Our relationship with them began in depth in 1997. And then we worked with them in Togo from, 20, uh, from 2000 to 2010, Togo, West Africa. And then in Rwanda from 2012 to 2014. And so we've known them for a very, very, very long time and they're a family that really uh, has a passion for the kingdom of God and we deeply respect them. Um, 
The effort that they're involved in uh, currently, if you want to go to the next slide, um, is uh, Virunga Valley Academy that they began in 2014. Uh, this is a school, an international school that serves uh, students kindergarten through the 12th grade. Um, and it's been a platform in and of itself in the Musanze community, in the Musanze district in the northern part of Rwanda. It's been a platform in itself to serve that community uh, to reach out to the families of the students, but it's also had a tremendous impact on that district's um, government officers and, and people who are in charge have been impacted dramatically. And the Miller family has gained um, a respect in that community and in that district and across the nation because of their work with Virunga Valley Academy. They, are, they have started this school, you know, they went to kind of extreme steps uh, to start the school because in Rwanda, in order to be there, you can't be a missionary. You have to be vocational and you have to do something that serves the Rwandan people in a way that a Rwandan cannot. And one of the things that they were asked to do was to launch this school up in this northern area of the country. The effort, however, has forced the Millers to spend an awful lot of uh, energy capital and time capital on the school itself, the administration and the teaching uh, and all of the things that go into starting, launching a school, and operating a school. And that's kept them from being as devoted, particularly in Matt's case, uh, to disciple-making ministries that he's also been a part of during this time. And so we're getting back to this holistic idea. Um, and that's been a real struggle. It's one of the things that Matt has voiced to me, and he voiced it to our missions committee um, when he and Andrea were here with their, with their family. Um, it's a real struggle because his passion, his heart, is yes to serve people, but it's also to see the kingdom expand and grow through disciple making. And that's something that's really amazing and they're doing a good job of there. But they have the need to hire a headmaster uh, for the school. Uh, Matt would like to get rid of about 50% of the time that he devotes to the school and put that back into disciple making ministry. So they have a need to hire a, a headmaster that would free up Matt's time for more work uh, in disciple making. Our partnership with them, if we did this, would be to help in the support of Kyle and Rachel McMillan, who uh, would, would come. Kyle would be the headmaster of the school. Rachel would be one of the teachers in the school. They have already got support for August and September, two months, and they're moving there this month uh, in August. Is this August? Is this the first? All right, I lose track of the days. Um, they'll be moving there this month on faith, believing that God's going to provide what they need in order to live there. Uh, just he and his wife, they're, they're a couple, uh, and fill that position. And as a missions committee, we've prayed about this, and we have a, a passion and a, and a desire. We would love to see Fourth Avenue fill that need. And what that need would then be connected to is Matt moving more into disciple-making, and being a part of a disciple-making movement that is really, really exploding in the country of Rwanda and moving outside of those borders. Um, currently, there are 550 house churches uh, that have started in the country of Rwanda over the past, uh, well, since 2014, 2013, 2014, really, when that movement began. 8,500 members in those churches, and they're in all 30 of these districts that you see here on this map of Rwanda. And so that movement is really, really growing. And then within that movement, the leaders of that movement have a vision for going out of Rwanda as missionaries 
into countries like South Sudan and Somalia, which can be really difficult places for outsiders to get into, taking into those places the ministry of Jesus and also vocational ministry to bless people and to launch disciple-making movements within those countries. And they also have a dream of going on to the Mediterranean Rim, uh, where the church is, is, is really needing to be, uh, the, the, the word of God is needing to be spread there and into the Middle East. And so there's an amazing movement uh, that has started um, and a vision, a grand vision. One of their visions is seven million disciples in the country of Rwanda by 2050. Seven million disciples. Uh, it's a vision to reach 50% of the population of Rwanda by 2050. And um, if you had told me that a few years ago, I would have thought that's crazy, but it's beginning to happen and God is beginning to move. Um, this movement has, you can go to the next slide, has no centralized church buildings, no centralized church facilities. They meet in homes. Um, and it's a very organic movement. The only facility that they have in country is a training facility um, where uh, leaders from in, within Rwanda and from other uh, East African, Central African nations come to be trained in disciple making, to be trained in the DBS uh, uh, process, the uh, Discovery Bible Study process, so that they can go back and continue and grow this movement across a large area of Africa. Um, and this is being led and pushed by passionate people uh, like Charlotte, like Peter, and like Justin. These are three of the leaders uh, in Rwanda among many. Um, it's being pushed by passionate people who, who love God, who love others, and love Jesus. And um, we were just there uh, a couple weeks ago and, and met with all of these individuals. Um, their love for God is phenomenal. Their, their, their passion and desire for him and for the kingdom of God and for people who have been living in darkness for so long to come into the wonderful light of Jesus. These type of people are the ones that are doing this. And so, um, you know, my, my desire, the desire of this missions committee, we're already doing a bunch of great things. Mike's looking at his watch. <laughs> you know, after we're done here, if you want to ask any of us questions, uh, we would love to fill in a lot of gaps that we leave and we have time constraints. But we would love to see Fourth Avenue become a part of a ministry like this, as we're all, always trying to extend and expand the reach that we have for God's kingdom in this world. Thank you, David. Mark, I'll invite your praise team to come on up. Uh, just as we close out this morning, I want to uh, offer just a couple of thoughts, you know, especially when we talk about foreign missions. Why are we doing this? Of course, you know, primary reason is because we have good news. We have a life-changing message to share, and we want to share it with the world. And the church has been doing that from day one, um, that the church began and it started to spread the news. But there's another principle that I, I wanted to highlight very quickly that I think is, is very important. And it's something that was really on Paul's heart when Paul, uh, if you look at a number of his letters, he started a project where the Gentile churches raised funds for the Jerusalem church because the Jerusalem church was struggling and there was a lot of poverty there and there was famine going on there and the Gentile churches had money. And so he raised money among the Gentile churches for the church of Jerusalem, uh, number one, because they needed it, but also as an expression of unity that the church is bigger than just one place, 
And I think that's always important for us to remember that sometimes we can get caught up. There's lots of needs around us here in our own community, and we're trying to serve those through our local ministries and especially through your volunteer efforts. But we can never forget the fellow Christians that we have across the globe who are, have far less resources and that we need to use the blessings that we have to bless them. So uh, continue to be in prayer for all of these ministries. Thank you.